Hello, it's Simon here. Before we introduce the next podcast, I want to say a big thank you to everybody for listening to Just About Coping and for your ratings and reviews so far. It's great to read that so many of you are enjoying it as much as I am recording it. I just want to play back to you two of the reviews that we've received so far. The first one on iTunes, Little Dave 2269. I could relate to many things that Ruby was talking about from my own very real struggles with mental health and the process of coping. The second on Twitter, from Every Kind 2. Another great podcast this week. Loved hearing about Alexander's obsession with kindness and his path to acceptance. A lot resonated. Thank you. We'd love to hear what you think, so please do keep sending them in. Particularly nice ones may get a readout. And please do remember to use hashtag JAC podcast on social media. So that's enough from me. Let's get on with introducing the fourth episode of Just About Coping. How long have we been talking for? Two and a half hours. No. <laughs> Coming up for an hour. Okay, cool. Great. No, cool. I'm Simon Blake, and this is Just About Coping. This week, my fourth guest is Johnny Benjamin, the mental health campaigner and author of two books, the first one, Stranger on the Bridge, already published, and the second one, soon to be published, The Book of Hope. Johnny and I had a wide-ranging conversation. He talked about his own lived experience of mental illness, about stigma, about shame, about his hopes for the future, and about the importance of teaching young people as part of our mission to make mental health part of everyday conversations. If those issues are ones that you find interesting, I know that you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Happy listening. So Johnny, really pleased to have you uh, here in my office today. Thanks very much for making it through the rain. And I guess the just would like to start by uh, telling people who you are. Lots of people will know you, but Many won't. Sure. So I'm Johnny Benjamin, and um, I am a mental health campaigner, um, filmmaker, writer, and, and public speaker. And can you tell us how you became all of those things? Sure. So I guess for me, I started making films in my, in my mid-twenties, um, so seven, seven, eight years ago. Um, I started making films as a way of um, communicating what was going on for me. Um, I'd been diagnosed with uh, schizoaffective disorder, so um, like a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar, and um, I found it really, really, really difficult to, to talk about talk about that. I was struggling struggling with my sexuality as well. Found it. Also, equally difficult to, to discuss that. So, as I know, making films was um, my medium of, of uh, communication. What was going on, um, and that's how that's how I started. Really, that that led me to make a BBC Three documentary on uh, young people's mental health, and um, then that led me to make another documentary called The Stranger on the Bridge, um, which was. Uh, which was out on Channel 4, which um, told the story of, of, of me finding a guy that stopped me from, from jumping off a bridge when uh, just after I'd got that diagnosis, um, I, I was in hospital, I ran away from hospital, ended up on a bridge, and this guy talked me off and 
years later I did this search to, to find him and found him and yeah we made this documentary together so that's how I kind of got started. Um, can you tell us what sorts of things you were you were telling people what kind of things you were trying to work out for yourself? Yeah I mean um, I was so the, when I got that diagnosis of, of schizoaffective disorder um, <laughs> no, I, I, no one could really talk about it my family my friends me I, I we just found it really hard to, co to communicate um, a, a around it it was just kind of the elephant in the room after I got that diagnosis and um, I just I was kind of tired of having to hide it and not talk about it so um, I wanted to communicate you know what, what it was like essentially symptoms what, what I'd been through and having a psychotic episode because I think there's a lot of stigma still attached to particularly like psychosis um, still a lot of misunderstanding about you know schizophrenia and um, just wanted to break down some of those myths so I started to be a bit kind of creative in terms of because um, I, I was a really creative person and then when I got my diagnosis um, I kind of changed everything I just uh, I don't know I lost I lost a lot of creativity and I lost a lot um, but making these films um, got me back in touch with my like creativity and um, and I think the for me, it was also making these films and putting them on YouTube allowed me to connect uh, other people that had um, the same kind of struggles. Because I, you know, I'm from a Jewish community in North London. We did not talk about. Uh, I, I knew no one with a mental health issue. I knew no one that was gay, and I was just um, I felt really isolated. So that's why I made these films. I put them on YouTube, and then. It allowed me to start, yeah, connecting to to other people and and building up a kind of community, which was a big part of my kind of journey. And one of the things which you talked about there was obviously stigma, and we'll we'll come back um, to that a bit later. And I think, you know, certainly when I started working in mental health mm. and and heard your um, story, it was giving uh, an awareness and an understanding that may previously, as you say, not be there in most communities but I also very quickly after that uh, you, you sent an email which was about hope mm. and I'm just interested in that moment where you say you're feeling isolated and feeling like you didn't know anybody how the films helped you in terms of a, a sense of hope and what your understanding of of the importance of hope is is now yeah see I think the thing actually that really bothered me when I started making films when I got involved in in the films led me to start working in mental health making documentaries working for mental health charities and what bothered me actually was that lack of hope that I saw so often um you know people would message me after watching my films and say you know I'm struggling uh, I can't tell anyone or they would say I'm trying to get help but I can't or they would say, I'm getting help, but I'm not getting anywhere with it. Uh, there was just such, um, such a lack of, of, yeah, kind of hopefulness. I think 
so the first time I was in hospital when I was 20, when I got my diagnosis, um, that hospital and other hospitals that I've been in, there is this kind of sense of despair and, and yeah, kind of hopelessness. Um, it, uh, I, I, have you been into a, a psychiatric unit? A long time ago, mm. uh, but... Uh, in, in the 80s, sure. so not in recent times. What was it like then? Pretty bleak. Yeah. Uh, I was visiting uh, a, an old, um, an older woman who was a, mm. a neighbour, mm. and there wasn't much sense of her humanity, quite mm. honestly, experiencing dementia. Sure, sure. And that's what, yeah, that's what I found so often. So... That led me to kind of really start thinking about, um, well, how can we change that sense of hopelessness and, and despair? And particularly, it really, really does bother me when, you know, I see young people and they say to me, what's the point? You know, I'm never going to, if, especially if they've got, you know, something like depression, I'm never going to be happy again. And what just what's the point? And it's so sad when you see, a, you know, someone that's, 14, 15, whatever, saying to you, you know, what, what's the point of living when, you know, I'm never going to, never going to get through this. I'm never going to see the light of day again. And I think, um, again, I, I, I often compare mental health, physical health. Um, and so where my dad, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years ago. And when he got his diagnosis, um, the way it was delivered to him was so different to the way that, you know, I got my mental health diagnosis. When he was given his diagnosis of prostate cancer, there was hope in the kind of delivery. And he was given all these like books, uh, or s small book booklets about, you know, what to expect during your um your treatment and, and what to expect maybe uh, after treatment and your recovery and uh, these books we, me and my dad talked through the books and these books were colorful they had colorful imagery positive imagery positive language and again like compare it to mental health and there's nothing like that when you get a, a mental health diagnosis and uh mental health still i was at an event the other day where was i it was just a few days ago and the the picture um, f for the event cover was someone with their head in their hands, um, you know, in, in utter despair. Um, and there is still this, yeah, kind of negative um, perception of, you know, whatever it is, depression, anxiety, OCD. And it's just this perception of, you know, it's, it's just despair. It's only despair. Um, and it is obviously, of course, there's despair there, but we don't focus enough on the, on the hope side of things, on the, on the, on the, you know, on the recovery side of things. Um, I think it's too much focus on the, um, that, that negative, that negative side. So that's why, essentially that's a long way of saying, you know, that's why I'm so interested in that concept of, of, of hope because, you know, that was the thing that, when I was on the bridge, that was the thing that um, changed my mind about what I wanted to do was 
this stranger saying to me, mate, you'll be fine. You know, you will get better. Um, and just instilling some hope in me was the thing that changed everything. So when I talk to, you know, do work in the NHS and talk to um, psychiatrists and mental health nurses, I say, you know, don't underestimate, don't underestimate, you know, what, what hope can do to someone who is, is really, really unwell. Because often I think, um, I'm generalizing, but I see this kind of compassion fatigue mm -hmm. often. Um, and I, it's hard because, you know, mental health, people are working in, you know, like inpatient units only see people when they're at their worst. And they don't see people when they have come out the other side because they'll only see people, yeah, at their very, very lowest. Um, so I think it's important for them to, people with lived experience that have got through it, to go back and say, you know, we have got, we have come through the other side because they need to see that to know that, um, you know, that hope is so important. And hope doesn't actually cost money. Mm. And so we often hear about what can't be done because of resource, but it does require a mindset shift. So when you are talking to people in the NHS or if there are teachers or parents listening to this mental health first aiders, mm. if you could replay back to the point of your diagnosis and it being delivered and the discussion and the takeaways in, in the way that you would have hoped, what would, what, how, how would that have been? How different would that have been? What would have been different? Oh, I'm, I mean, I mean, oh, I hope my psychiatrist is not listening to this. Well, no, do you know what? Like, oh, even if, if, even if he is, I mean, I guess it's important for him to know that the way that, you know, when he sat me down and with my parents to say, you know, you've got this diagnosis and, um, it was just so negative. Um, he was like, Johnny, you are seriously unwell and we don't know what's going to happen to you. And, you know, you've got to take these medications. They're very strong and they've got lots of side effects and, you know, you'll have to be on them for life. And everything was just delivered in such a, um, there, are, there was a lot of, I mean, me and my parents, we came away with, um, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of fear, a lot of kind of, um, you know, everything was, was so, um, I just wish the psych, my psychiatrist could have been more, um, yeah, delivered, delivered, uh, more, more hope and said, you know, well, you have this, but, but, um, you know, we can get you through this and we can get you out the other side. And, things can get better. So I've got a psychiatrist now that I see and um, she is very different. So when I have become unwell and had to go back into hospital, I've had a relapse. Um, the first thing she says to me and my parents, she's like, right, we're going to get you better. We're going to get you, we're going to get you sorted. Um, and that makes such a difference to me and to my parents as well. The fact that she's so um, hopeful it really it really does it really does make a difference and yeah I guess the lesson for everyone uh, here is you can give difficult news and difficult information in a very positive way which helps people to manage and, and to look and as you say there are lots and lots of examples of people doing it well both within mental health field and within physical health mm. and equally 
lots of examples in both mm. not not so good but that notion of of hope i guess stigma uh l- relates mm. a lot to that and you're you you have a new organization new charity beyond mm. stigma beyond shame uh, again just talk to me a bit about about stigma yeah i mean for stigma um well a lot of people a lot of people say you know it's the stigma that's sometimes harder to deal with than the kind of maybe illness itself. Um, I think, yeah, for me, it's different now because um, I, I do, I talk about it. I'm very open about my, my, my mental health. But growing up, um, I was so um, scared about what people would think of me if they knew what was going on inside my head. I didn't get anything that, at school which is why I'm so passionate now about going into schools when I was in school when I was in secondary school the one thing on on mental health I got was um it, I think I was 15 16 and they no I was well I can't remember 16 17 and anyway they showed us the film one flew over the cuckoo's nest and um have you seen have seen it yeah, yeah. I mean it's the acting is brilliant in it but oh my god that that film um scared me it really it really scared me because um i was struggling i was really struggling at that point but i hadn't told anyone and after seeing that film i was like i can't tell anyone what is going on in my head because i'm gonna end up in a place like that um where people are um people are kind of written off um yeah, there was there was so much there was so much going on for me um, g- growing up, and um, I was uh, yeah I was just I was I was terrified, and even after I got my diagnosis, it took me a long time actually to really start opening up and telling people that you know I had this diagnosis, this schizoaffective disorder, and and the fact that I was gay it took me a long time, and actually. Um, telling people I was gay was was harder than for me personally than telling people I had a mental health issue and I think that relates a lot to my Jewish community where I grew up because um, it's, get, it's getting better but there was a lot of stigma you know um, I heard it I heard it around me growing up you know um, there was this kind of perception that things like mental illness happened to other people mm. not to us um and that i don't know people in 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 uh in my community you know they're all straight there was this kind of um yeah perception and uh there's this expectation as well um and not just the jewish community it's lots of other communities as well but there's this expectation of you know um to be on a certain life path i think uh you know, you, you, you get married, you have your family, you have a good job. And when I kind of became ill and um, I realized that that wasn't my life path, I felt a lot of shame, uh, embarrassment. And uh, yeah, I felt a lot of shame on, I felt I brought shame on my family, on my sort of community. I felt a lot, of, yeah, I brought a lot of shame on people. Um, so... Yeah, shame, stigma, um, 
kind of dominated for me my my teens my 20s um and it's it's horrible it's, it's such a horrible um kind of existence when you have to uh you have to really really hide your your true self because you're so worried about what other people are going to think if they know that the real you it's um it, it makes me really sad uh when i know that other people are you know have to live that that existence where they have to completely conceal what is what is going on internally for them which is tiring and difficult on top of yeah everything which exactly. you're dealing with and having to process and work through exactly. self. So tell us a bit about your hopes for the charity that you yeah. set up to tackle mm. some of the stigma and, and some of the shame. Sure. So, I mean, um, yeah, my, my big thing is, is, is getting in young. Um, if we can, if we can start early enough, uh, you know, particularly I think for boys, when I was growing up, um, I was really, really sensitive when I was like really small, really sensitive. I would, you know, cry, uh, cry, quite a lot. Um, but then when I got to the age of like seven, something like that, you know, the adults around me started saying, you know, come on, Johnny, you know, big boys don't cry now, and you know, you gotta, you gotta stop the tears. You gotta man up now. Um, and that's, uh, I think that's quite damaging because. Then I said to myself, well, I have to suppress. I have to suppress everything now. Um, you know, I have to be what other people want me to be. So I need to suppress it all. Um, and so, yeah, my, my big thing is, is trying to get into school, primary schools, actually. Um, and, you know, tell young people that it's okay. It's okay if they um, are feeling uh, vulnerable, if they have you know, challenging emotions, if, you know, they're struggling, whatever it is. I mean, um, I just don't think, if I got that message when I was really young, um, I remember when I was at school, <laughs> we had so many, like, external speakers come in and talk about, oh, you could do this career and, you know, you could be this person when you leave school. And there was one, only one external speaker that came in and he was from Pixar uh, he was there to talk about, you know, um, yeah, like the world of animation, Pixar, and it was so exciting. But he started off by saying that he had really struggled at school and, you know, he was really vulnerable on on, on stage talking to um, all of us. And that was like, I remember thinking, wow, like, never seen like anyone be so, yeah, honest and open and just really, really vulnerable and it was um it was kind of a, a, a revelation and uh again that's why i now go into schools and i'm trying to be open and honest and vulnerable because um especially now this world of social media where <laughs> everyone just sees this highlight reel mm. um you know your instagram and your snapchat and it's like um i think young people are growing up with this um Mis misperception really of what the world is really like because they're only seeing these people's highlight reels so there's even more need to go into schools and be like um life is actually pretty hard it could be really hard and that's okay and there are ways to deal with that um and when you're going into schools are the stories familiar that people are talking to you about you'll obviously get people 
children, young people yeah. who talk to you afterwards, do they, do, does it feel like progress is being made or, or is it all? Yeah, because, I mean, it's amazing. Like I went back to my old school a few months ago and when I was at school, no one ever talked about mental health or, or, or anything like to do with sexuality. No one, no one ever talked about it. And when I went back to my old school, these 15, 16 year olds were just very openly saying, well, yeah, no, I'm bi. You know, and I've struggled with um, depression. Yeah, I had anxiety last year. Just really open. And that was amazing to see. I was like, wow, that, you know, I feel like progress is is being made, but still got a long way to go. I think it's still, still a long way to go. Um, and I feel like young people are dealing with more complex issues than ever before, maybe, again, because of things like social media and technology. And um, we need to give them that space to be able to talk and, you know, express what's going on for them. I did a, a workshop recently with young people on, on social media. And, um, you know, all these young people were saying, well, you know, we just get told to just turn off our phones or stop the social media or stop the gaming but you know they don't understand what it's like and no one wants to listen to us and yeah I think we really need to um, stop just shutting people down and but we also know that social media can be a real force mm, for good absolutely a few weeks ago Denise Welch talked yeah, about her or did a video about her experiences um, whilst in a depressive mm -hmm. um, episode yep. and young people are accessing help mm -hmm. and advice mm -hmm. so if you were to think back to being a, a well actually you're young enough that social media and youtube when i was growing up none of those things existed so yeah there's there's a generational bit there but if you could think actually what what were the best bits of social media what were the best things about having those platforms available because it's so easy to demonize the bad without amplifying yeah, the good yeah absolutely right and I'm not that young, so um, I actually grew up without uh, any of it. Without like, you had YouTube. You told me. <laughs> no, but only when I got to like tw in my twenties as a teenager. I had um, I I didn't have any of that as a teenager. MySpace. I was like, what's that? MySpace. Yeah, MySpace and Bebo and like all of those sorts of things, which were never really that popular. Well, they weren't. No, sorry, they were, but they weren't accessed like you know. So, but no, when I got to my 20s, definitely um, social media was, was, was a force for good in terms of helping me to connect to, to other people uh, that were going through similar things. That, that like people from all over the world, that was really quite something, you know. Um, I didn't know anyone in my local, you know, community that was struggling with their mental health at the time. But now I was talking to all these people from all over the world that were you know, had gone through similar things or were going through similar things. And that really, really did make, make a difference. Um, and uh, online, there's a really positive mental health community. There really is. Actually, just today, I, um, <laughs> I've been involved in a bit of a, uh, what's the word? Um, a little bit of a spat on, on online, on social media, um, because... Uh, Recently, Prince Harry was was at an award ceremony. I don't know if you saw, and he he got very emotional. He got very upset, um, and he yeah uh, started started crying. And so he's just been criticised for for 
showing too much emotion and certain <laughs> journalists have been picking on him um, because he was he was too emotional. They said they he made it about himself, but he was just expressing emotion. And, you know, that's... Anyway, I... I um, I got into a kind of yeah spat with certain journalists about the way they've you know talked about Prince Harry, and like the support from you know the mental health community as always is is amazing in terms of um, trying to fight that stigma, you know trying to stick up for each other. It's a really special kind of online mental health community, really, really special. Um, and you know I know I know I've kind of talked. Quite negatively about things like Instagram but no Instagram is brilliant in terms of there's so many kind of what I love on Instagram is like the um body positive movement which I love yeah. uh you know people like Bryony Gordon uh body posy panda do you know body posy panda she's Don't. great she's great <laughs> she um just all about you know just being positive with exactly who you are not needing to change anything uh flaws and all and um so no, I, social media absolutely is, is a force for good as well. And um, it's certainly not going anywhere. I think some parents I speak to are like, you know, I just wish that they'd stop Snapchat or I just wish they'd yeah, get rid of Instagram. But it's not going anywhere and we need to um, get used to it. Yeah, good luck putting that genie back in the bottle, even if we wanted to. I know, right. The slowing down, mm. we often... Um, forget to slow down mm. when you are slowing down what do you do to to look after yourself yeah see that's the thing like i'm sitting here um saying that you know we should all slow down and yet when i look back to my past six weeks i've not slowed down once um i mean the last time i slowed down was yeah this summer i actually I took a week out, which I've not done for a long time. I took a week out, week out, and I went to went to Spain and um, just kind of yeah, spent time with myself. Um, so when I'm and when I was slowing down, I was doing things like um, writing. For me, writing is um, you know kind of reflective writing is a, is a, is a good practice for me. Um, and not and not writing on my phone like sometimes I just write in my notes and actually with a pen you know writing on my in my notebook it felt quite weird because I'm so used to you know quickly jotting down notes on my iPhone quickly got to got to write this note got to do this thing so it was nice to actually you know spend time writing with a pen in my in my diary so reflective writing for me uh walking in get, getting out of so I live in London getting out of the city going into nature um do you know what the best thing actually for me is actually um, uh, just leaving my watch or phone somewhere where, like if I go, so like I said, going out in nature, going camping, and um, I actually kind of love uh, when I go camping and, you know, I have no service on my phone. Okay. And um, I can just, and I, and I, yeah, turn my phone off, get rid of my watch and I just spend a day where I don't need to worry about time. I've got to be here by this time. I've got to get this train. I've got to do this. Do you know what I mean? I just forget time. Um, that's quite powerful, I think. And that's something that um, I wish we could all do 
more of. Sometimes I do gratitude journals, you know, like three things every day that I'm, I'm grateful for. And again, that kind of makes me have to stop and be like, okay, let's just think about. Because I don't know about you, but I know myself, like every year that goes by, this is a bit, but every year that goes by, I'm saying to other people, oh my God, this year's gone so quick. And this year has gone, it's just literally flown by because it's just been so busy and, and non-stop and just there's been no time to actually stop and, and you know, take a breath. And one of the things you've been doing that's been keeping you busy is writing a book. So mm. a good job that you like writing. I <laughs> yeah. guess you haven't handwritten it, but do no. you want to <laughs> tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, so I published my first book in paperback uh, uh, earlier this year and then um, currently working on my second book, which is called The Book of Hope and you're in it, <laughs> uh, which is very grateful for. Um, yeah, it's, it's various people's, um, writings on, on, you know, what, what hope means to them, how they found hope, um, how they maybe overcame a difficult period. Um, again, I see a lot of people out there who are talking about mental health now, which is great. Um, but often I see, um, you know, particularly maybe high profile people are saying, you know, Yes, I, I, I had anxiety and it was, it was really tough. Yeah, I've, I went through depression and um, really, really hard. But, um, you know, I want to know how they got out of it and, and you know, how they found that hope that they needed. And um, often it's, uh, we don't get to hear kind of, we don't get to hear that, you know, how they, how they, how they accessed, where they found that hope from that, that, that kept them going. It's... Um, Again, with kind of the media, often it's just like kind of the story's quickly told and, you know, uh, and, and, and they tend to focus on the, the, the really tough stuff, you know, which, which is important, but the tough stuff, like this is what it was like when I went through my really bad period of, of, of depression. And um, yes, that's important. And we are talking about that more, which is great, but we also need to talk more about, um, yeah, that kind of that hope angle, um, how they got through it. That's what gets me through difficult periods is hearing how other people got through their own difficult periods um so i wanted to yeah make a really kind of i wanted to make a really positive hopeful book um obviously it's really important to focus on you know the really difficult stuff but it's also equally important to focus on you know how people can get through that and how they can learn to manage whatever it is so that's what I really wanted to focus on in, in, the, in the next book and sharing stories is obviously um, really, really powerful. And you generously share yours um, with lots of, of people, lots of the time, and making a real, real difference. Just to finish, I'd be really keen to get your sense of, as a person with uh, lived experience of, of living with a mental illness, what is your greatest hope for the world we want to see? Um, that's, a really, that's a really good question. <laughs> Uh, I'd really like to see more, um, well, actually, to be honest, more of a, well, not even more, I'd like to see a bit of a revolution in the way that we address mental health, mental health treatment, mental health support. Um, yeah, it's, I think just too often I, I hear that, you know, <sighs> typical story of someone goes, when they finally get the courage to go to the GP, <laughs> 
that then have to go onto the long waiting list for help for therapy. And when they finally get to therapy, it's like, right, you've got six sessions to sort this out <laughs> and um, or 12. Um, and then that's it. And I just, it's just, I just feel things could be really different. I feel like we're stuck in a, we've got this system where, we're, we're, we're stuck in and I've spoken to MPs about it and they said well you know like the cam, the whole thing with cams ending at 18 and being people being chucked out the, the the system and then having nowhere to go and yeah speaking to MPs they say well it's you know it's a big thing to change you know having to change the whole system the way it works and I'm like well yeah but you know too many people are not getting the help and support they need so I really I mean if we could live in a world where everyone who struggled with their mental health got what they needed in terms of, you know, how to move forwards and how to, I just, yeah, I think, I think we've still got a long way to go really. Um, it's, it's amazing that we're all talking about mental health a lot more, but it's just, it's not enough. What about when, you know, people do really need that help? It's, it's just, um, it's, it's not, it's not available enough. And, the right type of help is, and support is not available. So um, yeah, if we could live in a world where um, the right help was available at the right time, I think it could make a massive difference. Right help in the right time, the right way, doesn't feel like too big a thing to ask for. But clearly if it's a big change, we've got a long way to go and we'll keep on until we get there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Johnny, thanks very much. Thank you, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Johnny as much as I did. You can find further information about his two books and his charity, Beyond Shame, Beyond Stigma, in the description. I'm Simon Blake. Thank you for coping with us. Until next time. <laughs>